twenty Giatha Rajisak Duis Duis Gisasetta Twent Giatha Taylor Disna Gisasitta Direchaks. Welcome back to the Tusky Talks Podcast. And what you just heard was me and my co host Taylor introducing herself in Tuscarora. We're both rough at it. Well, she's a lot better at it than I am, but <laughs> we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah, so if you guys want to get better with us, uh, there's language class at the Tuscarora School in the Tuscarora Language Room during the school year from 6.30 to 8, taught by our very own Yeti Hit Diatdi Betsy Bissell. Uh, it's a very stress-free environment, a uh, bunch of people at different uh, language levels. Yeah, all uh, different language levels. Um, <laughs> I, I just started going um, probably like a month ago, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I've only, previous to that, I only had probably like a year of like first grade level Tuscarora mm-hmm. language teaching, so. Yeah, so it's it's a great way to, you know, get your language. And pick it back up. Um, so for today's podcast, we have Brian Printup, our very own Brian Printup from the Tuscarora Environment Program. Um, he's our GIS and planning manager. Um, he does a lot of work with maps. Basically, if you need a map, he can make a map for you. Um, he's also been an avid traveler, um, and he has gone all over the country uh, vending his beadwork. And we're very lucky to have him on today's podcast. But before we get to Brian's interview, we have a quick PSA for you from our sponsor, the Tuscarora Environment Program. The next time you go shopping, remember to BYOB. What? Bring your own bag. Oh. Taking your own bag when you shop is easy to do, and it reduces waste. Most plastic bags are never returned to the store for recycling, and they are currently not recyclable with modern. Are you serious? Keep a few reusable bags in your car so you'll be ready to shop. Oh, okay. Also, consider keeping a water bottle and reusable mug in your car for when you find yourself at Tim Hortons to reduce the amount of disposable cups that end up in the trash. Oh, I love Tim Hortons. And you get a 10 cent discount. Woohoo! Hey guys, before we get started with Brian's interview, I just want to remind you that we are always looking for new guests on Tusky Talks Podcast. If you know somebody who would make a good guest, has a lot of Tuscarora knowledge, you can go to our Facebook page and leave us a message, Tusky Talks Podcast. On Facebook, you can go to our website, tuskytalkspodcast.wordpress.com, or you can come visit me or Taylor at the office uh, at the Tuscarora Nation building. We're usually here Monday through Friday, 8 to 4, but the best way to reach us is definitely sending out a message through Facebook or our webpage. And without further ado... We have our interview with Brian. The first thing I want to ask, wanted to ask Brian was, how did you initially get into beadwork, and what was one of the reasons why you stayed with it? Yeah, I don't know why I got into beadwork. <laughs> no, I uh, just kidding. I know why. <laughs> I uh, you found a needle and some string on a log in the woods. And oh you're man, you took my story. Oh. So I found this needle and thread, and uh, my mom did beadwork when I was younger, and uh, she would um, went on the powwow trail for maybe like thirteen years. So powwow trail is when you know you follow powwows during the summer and you you vend and um, do that every weekend and. Uh, so, you know, she would leave her materials around and, you know, I'm home during the summer between school and I eventually just picked it up just to do something. And, you know, it just started out with basic stuff like making necklaces and stringing beads and earrings and nothing too exciting. But when you're 13 or 12, it was, it was, it was yeah, something, to, something do. to do. Yeah, it was interesting. So, and I kept with it. 
and I would do that for, I started when I was about 13, and then I made a change to doing Iroquois beadwork when I, about 10 years ago, in 2007, I made the change. Oh, yeah, it's, that's more traditional beadwork and not... Yeah, it's more of like doing raised beadwork when you're actually um, beading on material instead of just doing um, like handiwork, which is just like needle and thread. Uh, uh, which is like sewing on a button or like um, fixing a design maybe? Or... Yeah, yeah, the beadwork is more about, I guess, the difference is you're beading on something like a piece of material like leather or fabric or velvet versus on necklaces or earrings where it's just free form. It's not beating on anything. It just exists as itself. Yeah. So that's when I made that change. Um, like, yeah, those are really two things I could think of as necklaces and earrings. Cause you're not beating on anything. There's no backing to it. There's, it's just the, it's just, itself. just bead itself. Yeah. Okay. And then I, which is totally different, you know, sewing and beading techniques. I mean, when you got a bead on something, that's actually like sewing. Yeah. Whereas when you just make earrings, it's just about like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. I've heard the term like raised beadwork a lot. Yeah. What, you, what does that mean? It's a good question because we hear that a lot because that's what Iroquois do. Uh, compared to, say, other tribes in the Midwest or the West Coast uh, where they're doing a lot of flat work. Uh, so we use the term raised beadwork because we are... Basically, doing beadwork, Tuscars do beadwork over beads. So Tuscars will lay down rows of beads, and then you bead over those rows. So there's multiple layers of beads happening there. Um, that's different sort of what the Mohawks or the Senecas do, where Senecas, and by Senecas, I mean Seneca beadwork. Uh, Seneca beadwork is a very slight raised beadwork to it. So... There is really not room under there to put a row of beads compared to Mohawk beadwork, which is high relief, but they they don't put beads underneath it. So Tuscarors and Mohawk beadwork are similar in the sense that they both do high relief beadwork, but Tuscarors put beads under there to, to give it that raised effect, whereas Mohawk beadwork does not usually have that. So how do they raise it? They just sort of prop, the, the rows of beads are sort of propped up against each other, and it gives itself... Um, structure and what do you think is one of the more common misconceptions you hear maybe when you're out vending or ever talking to someone else um, mm. even other common vendors what's something maybe in common you guys hear from maybe people who don't know yeah which is ironic to you but um, yeah yeah it's uh you know i so when i made um when i started doing raised bead work in 2007 uh, I started to do art markets. Uh, the main one I do is the Swaya Art Market out in Santa Fe. Um, so it's every August they do an art market. And, you know, there's about 500 native artists there that are vending. And um, that's a lot. It's, it is. It's it's a huge one, event. One event, yeah. It's yeah, it nice. is. Yeah. It is. It's pretty amazing just to be there and be surrounded by other natives and, oh, like, yeah. uh, and native art, which is pretty awesome. Because we, here in New York or even western New York, we we see like Haudenosaunee art, but to see like all of the different kinds of native art that's being produced out there is all at one place. is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. And what's possible and what, what all we do. Um, so when we were there, there's beadwork is not the, the most, um, you know, there's, 
paintings and there's photography, there's sculpture, there's silverwork. So there's all the different kinds of art forms. And beadwork, there's not a lot of representation out there for beadwork at the market. And by not a lot, I mean there could be about 120 artists are doing <laughs> yeah, it yeah. out of 500. So it's not really a lot. Uh, and out of those, there are maybe three or four that are not doing Midwest or Western art. So that's really what everybody sees is, mid- is Midwest and Western art. And by that, I mean it's flat work and it's geometric. And th- a lot of that's with like the mountains work, right? And a lot of it's very square, rectangle and square. Yeah, um, correct. Triangle designs. Mm-hmm. Um, I make that sound very basic, but there, there is very cool <laughs> designs, but I'm saying that's it's the true. general. And that's what art is. You're taking yeah. something like that and you're turning it into something that yeah. represents something and means something. And that's kind of what art does. Taking squares and rectangles and triangles and making it making it work. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. But that's not what we do on the East Coast. And even sort of the the Great Lakes region, like the Anishinaabe or the Ojibwe, they do a lot of floral artwork. Um, but again, theirs is flat. And it's different than Haudenosaunee or even, say, Northeastern art when you get up to Maine or the Abenaki or the um, tribes that are up there. So why do you think we develop raised beadwork as opposed to everyone else where it's kind of flat? It's a good question. Way back in the early 1700s, 1600s, before sort of our influence of white settlers, uh, there isn't much evidence. It's, this is just based on what I understand. There isn't much evidence showing that we did a lot of floral beadwork, let alone raised beadwork. So our work really was sort of this like curvilinear, geometric, but not geometric, but not really like triangles and squares and rectangles rectangles because at the time we were probably using you know shells and beads and um the yeah the materials we were using was leaning towards more of a geometric shape but as beads were coming in and more influence from the western culture was coming in uh it was leading to us changing those curvilinear geometric shapes into more abstract floral shapes and at that time, when we're talking the late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, that's kind of what was starting to become vo- in vogue in terms of Western culture. And some some scholars, some writers, academics, really attributed to the French influence in our schools. So when kids were being sent away to school, the French teachers were teaching them French our, our French handiwork. With, so their, the, with their beads and tools? Well, yeah, they would really be doing sort of like embroidery, uh, like fabric or... It weren't, really wouldn't be doing beadwork, but it'd be a different kind of art form uh, that was using these more floral designs that were common in France. Then those kids were taking it home and adapting it to their beadwork, their porcupine quill work, their moose hair work. And that's when our work started to look more floral. And then as time progressed and we got into the Victorian age of, say, the late 1800s, that's in the Victorian age is when it started to get really excessive. Like, that was what Western culture was about, was excessiveness and over-the-top floral. And so that's what our beadwork started to represent because our beadwork at that time was starting to being sold to tourists who were looking for stuff that they were into, which is excess, I mean, not excess, excess, and um, heavy in nature and heavy in floral. So that's why we now do a lot of heavy floral work. Um, 
why we do raised heavy floral work, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I'm not sure why when you look at our beadwork from the you know, 1700s moving into the 1800s, it is flat. And then it starts to get slightly raised. And then, you know, in the mid, I should, I'm not 100% sure on my dates, but, you know, when we get to say in the early 1800s, mid 1800s, it starts to get, you know, a high relief beadwork. Why that change was happening, I don't know. I don't know why, but it definitely changed the way Tuscor, you know, identify with beadwork and how it represents us now is because that is what we do today is, is high relief beadwork and heavy and heavy and floral. And that's all the time we have with Brian. I want to give him a big nyala for coming on our show and being our very first guest. Anything yeah, th- to say to the folks out there? Any- yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. And before we close out the show, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, folks, quick PSA. Did you know the New York State, an estimated 18 to 20 million waste tires are generated each year? That's approximately one tire per person per day. And when tire piles burn, various environmental problems occur. Significant air pollution results from incomplete combustion of the tires creating thick, black, foul-smelling smoke. This smoke is carcinogenic and can cause cancer. So don't burn tires. All right, those are some wise words from our sponsors. Uh, Welcome back as we close out the show. What do you got, Brad? Uh, I wanted to remind the folks that the Great Law Recital is coming to Tuscarora the third week of August. That's August 11th to the 18th. Um, Do you got anything on that, Taylor? Yeah, so actually coming up on Saturday, February 17th, uh, there will be a dinner and basket raffle to benefit the Great Law. Uh, The dinner and basket raffle will be from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. here at the Nation House, and the social uh, will be from 6 to 9. There will also be a 50-50 raffle and a cakewalk. Bring a friend, a basket, and a good mind. Uh, They're still looking for basket donations, so if you have any, uh, you can drop them off over at Tuscarora Woodworks, and they will gladly take it off your hands. Sounds good. Nyala, Taylor. And a big nyala to Brian Printup for being our very first interview on the Tusky Talks podcast. Uh, I want to remind you again, if you want to nominate somebody or come on our podcast, please get in touch with us. We are looking forward to making more episodes because we want to hear more Tusky's talk on the Tusky Talks podcast. And with that, Ethgeka. Ethgeka. Our DNA is of earth and sky.